Hey everyone, welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we are already having. Shout out to all our returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. My guest today is an adoptee influencer and educator. Adopted from Hunan, China at nine months, she is passionate about spreading awareness and educating others about the reality behind adoption on her social media platforms. It is my honor and privilege to welcome Taylor Shennett to the show. Hey, Taylor, thanks for joining me. Hi, Patrick. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to have these conversations. I know we've connected on social media in the past, so this is really exciting for me. Yes, I'm very excited as well. A little context for our listeners or viewers. Taylor and I, I think, originally met on Clubhouse, if I'm not mistaken. Oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> okay, about I, was, that. I was thinking about it, I'm like, I think that she was in some of our rooms and we had some conversations yeah. there. It's like, I, I'm glad that we can confirm that. Um, but then started to follow you on social media, was just really drawn to your content because I feel like it's very accessible based on the way that you create digestible content about the adoptee experience for people who may not be adopted. So I really, really appreciate that. And I knew that you were a high profile person in our community when my wife one day came to me and she goes, hey, you really need to check this person out on, on TikTok who's talking about oh the adoptee experience. And it was you. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know Taylor. So oh my um, gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, really exciting to be able to sit down and have this conversation with you. I know I gave a little bit of a brief introduction, but before we hop into the conversation for people in the audience who may not know who you are, do you mind sharing just a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, of course. So my name's Taylor. I'm based in Orlando, Florida. I'm not native to Orlando, but I moved here kind of right at the beginning of COVID, um, just as a why not. But I started doing adoption related content back in like 2012 or so. Um, I, I originally started off with a blog and then I kind of migrated over to social media. And it wasn't until I started doing adoption content on TikTok that I realized that there's a huge absence of adoptee voices. And so I became more passionate about sharing my experiences as an adoptee in hopes of educating adoptive parents, um, helping other adoptees feeling uh, seen and heard, and then also reaching out to those who are potentially interested in adoption on how to go about that um, and kind of debunking some of those rumors and myths when it comes to adoption. I appreciate you sharing that. I did not realize you have been doing this since 2012. Um, so we talk about in the community a lot, this coming out of the fog or apocalypse moments, you know, coming to consciousness about our identities. Was there a specific thing that prompted you to start having that conversation that made you start thinking about, oh, I'm going to share this on a blog and then eventually migrate over to social media? Yeah. So there's actually this one story that really pushed me into talking about adoption. Um, and this happened when I was in high school. I was talking with a friend um, and one of our teachers at the time. And my teacher was telling me how he was an adoptive parent of two girls from Russia and how that adoption ruined his marriage and how he hated that he adopted them and how it was so horrible. And as an adoptee, it was very fresh into talking about my adoption publicly. That was shocking. And to hear that from another parent, and I started thinking like, you know, I, I I don't see these conversations being held. And I don't see other adoptees talking about them, only hearing adoptive parents. And so, um, yeah, that was like the first moment that I was like, wait a minute, I want to talk about this. And there's something that's deeper here 
that needs to be discussed. That is wild. And I think shocking is a apt way to describe it because I don't know, I feel like you hear a lot of horror stories that come from adoptive parents specifically, but I've maybe not personally heard someone say, oh, I hate that I adopted these kids. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That is wild. It was was really hard. You know, and some of that means like it's, it's hard. They have, you know, some disabilities that weren't disclosed, Mm. X, Y, and Z. You know, it's an international adoption and there's a lot of things that aren't disclosed in international adoptions. So yeah, it was, it was shocking. And I went home just feeling like crap. I was like, what the (laughs) heck was that? Like, what? (laughs) That's really jarring. Something that just kind of like forces you into kind of this identity, this consciousness of of your own identity of, of being adopted specifically. Was that... Because you saw a lack of voices, was that the reason that you decided to do something public? Or did you feel like you had been telling and sharing your story privately and you just wanted to explore a different avenue? No, honestly, um, before that moment, I kind of talked about my adoption to my family and a few close friends, but it was always like in a very lighthearted way. Like, oh, Mm. how because I'm adopted. You know, and like that self-deprecating, like, oh, (laughs) it's just that, like, I think a lot of us could relate to doing that because you don't know how to express those emotions. And a lot of people don't understand, like, how, I don't know, not how, but like, just all those thoughts surrounding adoption, and they're not positive. And so I really decided, let's just go public. Let's just put my feelings out there for the whole world to see. I don't care if it's my parents or I don't care if it's my neighbor or my teacher at school, which I really hope that he actually read the piece that I wrote about <laughs> him to him. Um, but yeah, I just skipped the whole like, let's talk to family and just decided to go public instead. I really resonate with that because I feel like I did the same thing when I came out of the fog and started to tell my own story three years ago. I was like, you know, I've talked about it just a little bit, but in that lighthearted manner. And I'm like, I'm just going to start sharing. And so that's what I've been doing. And very recently, I decided to take a step back from doing that because I felt like, okay, maybe I've been like too personal and too free with this information. But I also found it very empowering to be able to share my story publicly in that way. And it was really, really affirming to connect with so many people in the community who resonated with some of those feelings, Mm -hmm. even though their experiences might have been wildly different. You said that you really saw your content take off once you made the migration over to social media. I mentioned at the top, you know, you, my wife found you on TikTok, found your content there. You have over, like, you have hundreds of thousands of followers across all social media platforms. You've generated this large following. Was there something in particular that you talked about regarding this experience? Or was there a moment where you just saw, you woke up one day and you're like, oh, people are really responding to this piece of content or this part of the conversation that I'm talking about. Yeah, so my adoption content really blew up when I posted my one like most viral video of me reminiscing on the moment that when my dad brought me home from China. Mm. And it's like, you know, my family greeting me. And overnight, that blew up to over 11 million views just on TikTok alone, which has now been shared across different platforms, which not I don't like that other people have been sharing my video without <laughs> right. permission, but whole another conversation. Um, and I and a lot of people started asking me about my experience and about my adoption. So I started sharing more personal, kind of like you, just more about my experience and my adoption. Um, and then I made another video, kind of joking about the one child policy, and that opened up a whole other can of worms where people are like, "What is that? Like, what do you mean mm. it's still going?" And at the time, it was still going on, and it has now um, ended. 
But yeah, a lot of people also didn't know about all the nuances behind the one child policy and what that meant and why there are so many Chinese adoptees, specifically female in the U.S. and, uh, you know, everywhere, but specifically uh, the U.S. was one of the larger countries adopting from China at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really that kind of pushed me into adoption content. Um, There's still a lot of adoption content that I personally do not cover because I feel like I didn't experience that. So I want to leave that to those who have. Um, So I try not to talk about like domestic adoptions or international adoptions aside from Chinese international adoptions, things like that. Um, But I love sharing pieces of those and kind of recommending other creators that they could go support that are well-versed and, (laughs) you know, have a platform of their own. So deserve their own following. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that intentionality. 11 million views, that's a lot. And I feel like I don't even understand the virality of things on social media still. And <laughs> even though like you kind of chase that moment once you find yourself in this in this social media space, was that overwhelming? And did it ever give you pause when you first saw that kind of skyrocket in engagement to be like, do I want to continue pursuing this? Or is it like, do I want to maybe like, okay, maybe that was too much? Yeah, yeah. So at first, I think a lot of people would relate when you get that first viral thing, you're like, Oh, my gosh, what else can I do? I need to create as much content as possible. How do I monetize? Like, what do I do? And so that was me at first. And then it was funny, because I don't really share a lot of what I post on TikTok with my family. They're, Mm. they're open to view it. Um, It's not like I hide it from them. It's just not something that I discuss and tell them like, Oh, I made a video about genocide today. Do you want to like, that's a conversation. Um, And so it was funny because my one viral video at the time, uh, for those who don't know my story, my adopted parents actually moved to China for me and lived there for seven years. And my first viral video was when my dad was still in China. And some of his employees were the ones who saw my video. And they were the ones to tell him that he had a oh, viral wow. video, which was just <laughs> totally crazy to have someone on the other side of the world tell my dad, who's also living on the other side of the world, that they saw him or a younger version of him in a video. Um, and so ever since that, those key moments, I, that kind of helped me remember, like, I don't know who's watching and I have now decided to be a lot more careful with how much of my friends and family I share just because I don't want them to get that attention. And so I'll get requests all the time, like, oh, show your dad, show your mom, show your sister, show this. And I'm like, no, that's like a a piece of me that I'm not going to share because I have a very public profile and very public life almost. That's Those are things that I have to keep in mind to share. Um, and then I also just had to remember to grow a very thick skin very quickly. Mm, that is the difficult nature of it, I feel like. And yes. I, <laughs> I commend you for recognizing that really early on, especially when it comes to other people in your family and how your content may or may not affect them. Because I think that's something we lose a lot, especially when we start to, as adoptees, reclaim our story and tell it and author it for the first time, is that the collateral damage that happens might be something that we just don't, we aren't even cognizant or aware of because it's like we we now have this thing that feels like ours, and it is ours, but... Mm -hmm there's also these other factors at play. So I appreciate you yes. just even mentioning and mentioning and naming that because I think it's really important and something that we can miss. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you sharing all of this because I think it's really helpful context for the conversation that we're about to dive into. 
And especially because, you know, you've been in this space for a long time, 11 years. You've been Mm -hmm. either you've been talking about this publicly, specifically your story. And again, I just want to quickly commend you for the intentionality behind what you share and why you share it. Not necessarily like I'm going to be all encompassing of everything adoption related. Like you found the lanes that really work for you and you've made that you've made that work uh, throughout your journey here. And so that's like a lot of experience, a lot of time for you to learn about not only your own story, but other folks' stories, just the broader conversation in general. And so over that time, what have you found that you feel like is still missing from that conversation around adoption or the adoptee experience? Honestly, the biggest thing I I think that's missing from that conversation is empathy from listeners. And that's something that I think a lot of adoptees could relate as they're sharing their personal experiences, the amount of hate comments and lack of respect and just plain empathy they have for our situation and our stories and the fact that we can't fit that one mold of that one happy adoptee and it drives Mm -hmm. people crazy. And so for me, the biggest part is just empathy and, and listening and not just listening like yeah i hear you but truly hearing and understanding and processing what we're saying a hundred percent i love that and i feel like this is a theme that's run across a lot of the conversations i've had on this show even outside of the adoptee community is how do we build empathy and how do we listen to understand as opposed to listening to respond i think it's really easy for us especially in american culture to load up what we're going to say once we hear something that triggers us or triggers something in our brain, we're like, okay, I got to respond to that. And it, uh, it blocks us or blinds us from seeing the full picture of the conversation that we are a part of. And so as you've navigated that lack of empathy in this space, what like big takeaways have you had for yourself when it comes to this is how I either help people foster empathy for us or even just for my own story? Have there there been things that you've realized work or don't work? Yeah. So I'll give I'll give one example. Um, I talk a lot about the one child policy and that includes a lot of horrific things that have happened and that people have done. Um, And a lot of times I get comments like, well, how could you love those people? How could you claim to be Chinese if they're go if they're the ones doing this? And to me, after spending time in China, after interviewing Chinese people who lived that experience and reading these experiences and listening, you don't realize that a lot of people didn't have a choice. And this wasn't mm. a conscious thing that they wanted to do. And so on my platform, I try to have em- empathy and and demonstrate that to the Chinese people. And I'm saying, like, you cannot blame one group for what their government is doing. And that would be the same as if you blame America for some of the horrible things we've done. Like every country has done horrible things, but it's not the individual person. And so those people don't deserve to be crucified in in certain ways that we want to. And especially with all the Asian hate crimes, you know, um, my my content saw a huge rise in very hateful comments, specifically about me being Chinese and Mm. me like defending the Chinese people and defending COVID and stuff like that. And again, it's it's not that's not something you can blame on one person and the people itself um and then in another way i had a birth mother comment on one of my videos and she said you know thank you so much for giving the birth parents empathy and giving us a voice um because again a lot of people are like oh well the birth parent your birth parent was they were probably young and stupid they couldn't take Mm. it you know and they they kind of 
create this one narrative. And that's not always the case. And after listening to so many birth mothers on TikTok and on every social platform, they have their reasons and they have their own stories and voices and they deserve just as much respect, you know? And, and so those are just little ways that I try to, to share on my platform. Like no one deserves to be single-handedly crucified by someone. Um, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. I really appreciate you sharing that. And before we go any further, we mentioned, you mentioned it a couple times, the one child policy for anybody listening who may yeah. not know, could you give us just a high level overview or definition of what that is specifically? Yeah, of course. So the one child policy um, was started in about 1979 slash 1980, depending on who you ask. And it lasted into, to, until 2015. And it stated that most Chinese couples could only have one child per family. But there was a huge male preference for um, males over females. So that created a gender imbalance. Um, and that is why a lot of adoptees from China are usually female. There are a couple of male Chinese adoptees, but it is much rarer compared to female Chinese adoptees. Um, but yeah, that policy lasted until 2015. And then they relaxed it a little bit. Um, but it its effects will forever impact China, which is why I'm so passionate about talking about the one child policy since it is relatively unknown. And even in school, I barely learned about it. And so that was a whole other fun experience. Yeah, I feel like I did not know about it until even starting this journey at 30 in 2020. <laughs> like, and that's and I'm not even from China, I adopted from Korea. And I just, you know, you just happen to start learning about these things when you broaden the scope of your own perspective. And when you start to unpack, you know, what does it mean to be adopted? You realize, okay, it's not just where I came from. This happened in a lot of places. And you kind of dig into, if you want, the history a little bit of how these things happened. And you're like, oh, okay. and it's like, why didn't I, <laughs> why did we never learn about this yeah. when we were growing up? Like, why was this information withheld? I appreciate you sharing yes. that. And I want to go back to something that you had. So you said someone commented a birth mother specifically on the empathy that you are sharing or that you are expressing towards other parts of the people that are impacted and involved in adoption. You know, they're again, like I said before, especially for adoptees, it can be really easy for us to, once we have our coming to consciousness moment, put the blinders on a little bit and get so incredibly focused on our own story that when yeah. we talk publicly, we can unintentionally push out harm towards other people that might be involved in this process. And mm -hmm. you said that you went when you were in China, you were able to interview birth mothers, you were able to interview other Chinese people about a little bit about this. Can you talk more about that experience mm -hmm. and how if if you feel comfortable and safe enough to share, if there was any one moment that made you realize, okay, I have to make sure that when I'm talking about is more all-encompassing than just this it one went. experience that I have. Yeah, of course. So up until I, I decided to do my birth parent, parent search, I was very angry at my birth parents specifically. Mm. I was very angry that they made that choice and that why would they do that to me and that it must have been like something I did wrong. Um, and it really wasn't until... And I also kind of held this anger more towards my birth mother. And for some reason, like my birth father was like, yeah, he's a figure in that, but like he's this fantasy figure that I wasn't really right. holding that anger to. So it was more specifically towards my birth mother. Um, and it wasn't until I did my birth parent search and went to China and I had prospective parents step forward 
And, and the thing that was shocking to me, it wasn't birth mothers stepping forward. It was birth fathers. They were they were the ones stepping forward. And the one interview that really sticks to mind, it was a older gentleman who he's looking for his adoptee. Um, she was the second daughter born to them. So they were allowed to travel for another one. It was a girl. They couldn't afford her. So he recalls when he, he took her to the orphanage and left um, like money and a note in, in with her and remember watching and trying to learn information about her. And he was absolutely heartbroken. Um, and he was so upset that he, he did this. And he was like, you know, I, I think my wife is so angry with me to this day for doing that to her. Um, and even though he, we tested, uh, he didn't want to tell his wife that he even thought there was a potential of finding their daughter mm. because he didn't want to upset her again. And so for me, that, that totally changed my perspective on my birth parents and especially how I kind of viewed my birth father. Um, and it really humanized what a birth father is. And then I had another family who came forward um, and their, their daughter was actually stolen from them by the government because she was an additional birth. Mm. And again, it was just realizing they, they had no choice. This wasn't, they chose to keep her, but the government made the choice to take her away. Um, and then there's a, there's some other women that I talked to, but yeah, just, just seeing that and realizing like, I totally misunderstood the situation. And of course, you know, I, I still might've been like my birth mother and father both might've been like, yeah, that's fine. Like sure. they might've made that decision. Um, but in a way, it kind of gave me peace knowing that there are so many other families that did it. And I'm friends with a lot of other searchers on Facebook and WeChat. And they'll share stories and videos of, a, you know, Chinese parents absolutely heartbroken that they don't have their daughters. And again, like people want to say like, oh, how could the Chinese do this? They're so heartless. And they're really not. Like, again, it, it wasn't them. It, they had no choice. It, it was the government. Um so yeah, I, I don't know if that answered your question. It absolutely did. And I really appreciate you sharing that and sharing multiple examples because I just came back from Korea myself. And something that I've really been struggling with and trying to process is this loss of history that we have yeah. when we don't aren't able to literally and directly look back at who our birth parents might have been, who our first families were, and then look beyond that. We can look at the country itself and say, okay, these are my ancestors, you know, this, okay. this country is in my ancestral land. But in reality, we can't like literally tie ourselves to this, an actual lineage. And like, we yeah. are the start of this, of our own family trees, essentially. And I've really been grappling with this loss of history. And I was similar to you in that I don't know necessarily if I held a lot of anger per se towards my birth parents, but I I don't know. Maybe it was like an, an apathy or an animosity, maybe. Yeah. And animosity yeah. sounds like anger, actually. So maybe it was <laughs> anger. Um, but understanding that there are and like and again, learning from other adoptees who have had the opportunity and privilege to get enter into reunion and then hearing their stories about their birth parents who either had a child taken from them, you know, against their will yeah, yeah. or the information was falsified or they were in a lower or very low income situation where they were like, yeah. okay, we're going to leave my child here for a few weeks so we can get some money, make sure, and then we'll come back. 
and then they come back mm-hmm. and their their child is gone. You're gone. And realizing, okay, there are so many other potential pathways that could have been taken. What what does it work for me to hold on to this anger toward or whatever the feeling might be towards them? And how do I like readjust or reevaluate where or redirect where those emotions should be aimed at, essentially? Mm-hmm. And um yeah, so I think it's re- I think it's really interesting and I really appreciate again you sharing that because we need to be able to understand that there is that two things can be true. That we can have these feelings and we can be upset for any number of reasons at whoever <laughs> is involved in the system and until and if we get the privilege of learning our true origins we'll probably never know. And in that case, we have to be able to and willing to at some point step back and and reframe our perspective a little bit on what this is. And I feel like you sharing this is really helpful for us from that perspective, particularly for adoptees, because we, you talked about this missing piece being empathy. And a lot of that's centered around folks outside of our community. You know, they have to have empathy for us, be able to build that with us for our community. How do we as adoptees ensure that we are being empathic towards other people in our community when we think about how we're having this conversation with each other? How do we make sure that we are being mindful of each other and not just expecting folks outside of our community to do so as well? So something you said earlier and and how you framed it, I know the term used to be like coming out of the fog. And I really Mm -hmm. like how you kind of reframed it um, because I, I have seen online where one adoptee will share their their own lived experience, and other adoptees say, "No, you're wrong. You're you're not out of the fog yet. You mm. you just don't know any better." And that is so harmful, and it's just causing a further divide with adoptees. And as a whole, we should be supportive of each other. And I've talked about this before on my channel, and I actually got a little backlash saying, "Like, well, no, we shouldn't." Mm, and I kind of disagree. Yeah, it was adoptees saying, "Like, no, I don't think we should." And you know, for me. Every adoption is separate and every adoptee needs space and time to learn how they want to navigate their adoption, how they want to view their adoption, how they want to navigate what's next, what comes next for them. Is that a birth parent search? Is that saying I'm good? You know, whatever. And I think as as an adoptee community, we need to be okay that someone else is okay with something we're not. And we need to just say, all right, that's fine. If you want, if this is what you're working towards, that is great. And I'm going to support you, even if I personally don't agree. And that's personally not my lived experience, but that's okay. Everyone has a different experience. And it's just, I, I try to constantly say that on my page. You know, if someone ever comments like, oh, well, my brother's friend's adopted sister-in-law doesn't feel this way. That's great. Everyone right. has a different view. I'm not speaking for all adoptions. You came to my page to hear my voice. You didn't come to my page to hear every adoptee's voice. Um, and so I try to make that disclaimer now in almost every video. Like, again, this is me and me alone. I'm not speaking for the population of adoption. But yeah, I think as adoptees, we just need to be more understanding towards each other and and loving because, you know, there's so many other people on the web that so ready to say you're wrong and all this other lovely things. Um, so as a community, we just need to say, like, that's okay. That's okay. You're going to be different. That's okay. I, I I absolutely love that and could not agree or resonate any more 
with what you just said, because we, so during the pandemic, I feel like especially this phrase of we are not a monolith was being used a lot and not just within our community, within every community to signify that there are so many different lived experiences that make up a community or diaspora. And something that I've been very intrigued by is how we as a community who sit at the edge of marginalization because adoptee is not seen as an identity and we're not really seen as a community. We're just seen, Oh, you were adopted. Okay. And how, when we come to consciousness and we start to have these conversations, how there are adoptees who will, and again, maybe this is unintentional, but weaponize their own experience to put down other people whose experience is different than theirs. And you nailed it right on the head when you said it's very harmful because your that reaction could cause this other person to then refuse to explore their own identity, to go okay. through rejection or to be more isolated in wherever it is that they're located. And at the end of the day, that's the seed for further marginalization down the line, not only from other people outside of their family or their friend group or their community, but from themselves. And you know, yeah. that there, I don't think there can be anything more harmful than marginalizing yourself to reject yourself because we already start on this foundation of quote unquote rejection or loss or right. abandonment or whatever it might be. Those that, that detachment, those feelings uh-huh. um, that come with that. And however you go about navigating, however you experience this experience is totally valid. And if we go out of the way to marginalize other folks within our own community, we do the work of white supremacy, white supremacy culture specifically to divide like what the model minority myth does. And I've, we've talked about this a little bit on the show is that, you know, adoptees specifically Asian adoptees are kind of the model minority within the model minority because our proximity to whiteness is literally like next to what, you know, immigrant families are at least one further step removed. We as a community are literally tied up with it. And and a lot of us internalize that. I internalize that. Mm-hmm. And so when you reach this point of consciousness, even if you have a positive experience, you have to be able to share that because by sharing it, you're probably doing the work of understanding how you are directly tied to these certain concepts and things. And mm-hmm. you can begin to unpack and dismantle that and resist it. So that way you can join into this larger fabric and chorus of adoptive voices and marginalized mm-hmm. voices who are taking back those narratives. And so I think that everything that you're sharing is so spot on because we need more people to be naming these types of things. And so I really, really appreciate you doing so. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and giving me this time today and not only sharing a little bit of your story, but dropping a lot of knowledge and wisdom and education for people who are listening, particularly outside of the adoptee community, but even for those folks who sit inside of our community. And that takes a lot of emotional, mental, even physical labor to do so. And you've been doing it for 11 years now (laughs) in multiple different forms. And I really appreciate that. Who are you learning from right now? Who's inspiring you? Who is showing you new ways of thinking, different perspectives on things? Who are you learning from at the moment? Yeah, of course. Can I open my phone to like get these names? Because I know they're TikTok usernames, (laughs) but if you ask me their real names, I'm like, couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. So one one moment. (laughs) 
<laughs> that happens so much. It's I know like, everyone's I know names your handle, then, like, but I don't know your actual name. <laughs> yes, yes, all the time. Um, Liliana, she's an adoptee on TikTok. Smaller creator, but I really love her content and I really love learning from her. Um, Varika is another adoptee. She's a Romanian adoptee that mm. I follow on TikTok. Um, again, great content. And then Melissa, she's the author. That's a very small portion of some of the adop- other adoptee creators that I'm learning from. And, you know, as someone who does education on on this platform, I, I feel like it's almost like I, I need to, but I need to listen to other perspectives because everyone has their own. And so I don't like narrowing myself down to just adoptees that like fit my mold or fit sure. what I think. Like, and obviously I'm using air quotes because I don't actually think that, but I like educating myself on other matters and and really exposing myself to some other ones oh and kira i really like kira's mm. stuff she's more on instagram she's also a chinese adoptee yes um, so those are yeah those are just some of the ones that i i love supporting love that i will have every one of those people linked in the show notes if you're listening to this right now then you know that kira was just on this show two episodes ago so um love that we can make these connections particularly within our community and thank you for sharing those voices and again totally agree with what you're saying learning from other people in our community specifically allows us to have a better viewpoint of our own stories and allows us to be able to articulate our own story better and like mm-hmm. you talked about at the beginning like we talked about after you share a little bit about your own journey is that you've really found the lanes that make sense for you to share and you, and that's what your content is centered around. And that's the, that's the education that you provide. And that education is formulated and and built upon through learning about other people's stories. You're not telling other people's stories, but you're able to Mm -hmm. glean new insights and new perspectives and information by learning from other folks who have a different lived experience than you. I think that's a huge takeaway, I think, from this episode is being willing and able to understand other people exist within this larger fabric, as well as myself, and that you can learn things from those other folks. So again, cannot thank you enough for just sharing not only these folks, but all of this information, not eh, all of this information, this education and your story, just even just a little bit of your story for this audience here, for myself, for anybody who might be listening and watching. And it's it's just a genuine, genuine privilege to be able to have you on the show. Last question before I let you go here. How do we, how does this audience support you going forward? Ooh, okay. Uh, the best way to support me is just to follow my following on my different social media platforms or like, share, comment. Um, that That's the biggest way. I love connecting with other people online. Um, I've made some incredible friendships through this. Um, so yeah, that, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much again, Taylor, for coming on to the show and sharing so much with us. It's again, a, a huge privilege and a major honor for me to be able to sit down and have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much, Patrick. I've been dying to have this conversation with you. And so it's nice to finally like me kind of face to face a little bit yes. more. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely honored to be on here. Well, we will definitely have to have multiple, many, many more conversations going forward for everybody out there listening. You can find all of Taylor's links in the show notes here. We'll also link all of the creators that she shared a little bit earlier. 
and you can find them all in the show notes. I just said that. I don't know why I said it again. If you want to find us, you can do so on Instagram at Conversation Pod Piece. I think we're on TikTok. Okay, I know we're on TikTok too, but I'm not 100% sure what that handle is. I think it's the same. It might be Conversation Piece Pod. Who knows? I'm vacillating between the two because I only have so many things that I can get to. <laughs> if you do feel so inclined to leave a rating or review on whatever player or watcher that you are seeing or listening to this on right now, we would greatly appreciate that. And last but not least, if you're interested in supporting the show in the future at any point, feel free to hop in our DMs or visit our website, conversationpeacepod.com. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you.